We've been studying Second uh, Corinthians here at Freedom. We we love God's word. Uh, we're just going through verse by verse, working our way through the scriptures, and we find ourselves in Second Corinthians, which means there was a First Corinthians, and I just want to do a real short recap with you guys because Paul the apostle had written to the Corinthian church, which he had gone and planted. He actually was there sharing the gospel and discipling others, and a church was birthed. And he had, since then, he's now in Ephesus, there ministering, which at this time of 2 Corinthians, he's being run out of town, actually, there in Ephesus, and that's why he's going to Macedonia. But 1 Corinthians was written because the church was in disarray. There were divisions in the church. Aren't you guys glad there's no divisions in the body of Christ today? I get denominations, but I don't like denominations. How many churches are there today in the world? How many many churches are there according to God? There's one church, and yet we have all these different denominations. And that grieves the heart of God. He hates divisions. There was a lot of deception going on. They were believing and teaching things that just were not true. And Paul, out of love, (laughs) speaks truth to them in the letter that he wrote to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, which we studied through last year. And there was a lot going on. The gifts of the Spirit was being abused. Uh, things were going down. There was a guy who had been sleeping with his mother-in-law and like, hey, that's sexual impurity, not good. That needs to be addressed. They addressed it, but they wrongly addressed it, which we're going to pick up a little bit on that today in chapter 2 of Second. Corinthians, but there was a lot for him to speak to, and not all of them there in the church in Corinth liked hearing it. Do you guys know that when it comes to the scriptures, and we uphold the word of God here, but this is sharper than any two-edged sword. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says that this, his word is alive, and it is powerful, right? Okay, it's able actually to discern things that are going on in our lives, in our hearts, even soul and spirits, able to make a distinction between that to show us. And one thing that the word of God will do with every person, if a person receives God's word with humility, what happens to their heart? It melts, doesn't it? It becomes soft. For others, they hear the word of God, and they don't like what it says. And from a standpoint of pride, saying, you know what, God, screw you. I don't care what you say, even though you're the creator and I'm the creation. I'm going to play God. I'm going to say what goes. And that type of pride, what, what happens to a heart that's prideful? It becomes hard. So I pray, and one of my continual prayers for all of us is that our hearts are soft towards the things of the Lord. Because we are told in the last days that love is going to wax cold we're going to become hard. There's going to be a suppression of the truth. We just spoke earlier about our kids. Here's the word of God. We think the most important thing that we can put into print to help our children learn how to read is the Holy Scriptures, the things God has revealed and declared. But we're living in a day and an age where this isn't even allowed in our schools any longer. Would you guys agree with me? We are definitely suppressing truth today and we're reaping the consequences of it. God has good, and we see so much evil and chaos in the world today, and we're just like, what's going on? Well, we're still in rebellion to God. We're still putting our word above his word. Our opinions, we think, matter more than his. It would be awesome if we would repent. Wouldn't it be cool if the world would just finally humble themselves before their maker? What would God do? The world's looking for peace. They want answers to all these problems. And we know the answer. The answer is who? It's Jesus. And it's pretty cool. God loved us so much. He sent his only begotten son. And those that come to faith in him, they're going to be forgiven of sin, but they're also going to be changed, we're told. We now are born again of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. Well, we got a God who loves this world, and if we actually humble ourselves and we put our faith in Christ and we're saved by his grace, 
we're told the new covenant, if you read the whole of the Bible, God gives us a new heart that is very soft and alive that we can now do what God's asked us to do. And what is the greatest commandment God's given mankind? You love. You love me. You love one another. How different the world would look if we would stop suppressing the truth and we would just do what God's asked us to do. Amen? Amen. Anyways, we're supposed to be studying 2 Corinthians. (laughs) For you guys who are visiting, um, our pastor gets sidetracked sometimes. Just silently be praying that he gets back on course. (laughs) We're going to take a look this morning. We finished up. We took two studies going through chapter 1 together. And this morning, I'm hoping, Lord willing to get through chapter 2 with you guys. So let's take a look here. He says, and this is the Apostle Paul writing, he says, I'm determined within myself that I would not come again to you in sorrow. Okay? Do you like having a visitor who comes and is just bummed out, who's in sorrow? No. I like visitors who come over. Hey, I'm stoked to be here for a visit and to see you guys. This is going to be great. Don't you guys like those type of visitors? And that's Paul's heart here. I don't want to come to you bumming out. Okay? I want to come to be a joy to you guys. So he goes on in verse 2 to say, For if I make you sorrowful, then who is he who makes me glad but the one who is made sorrowful by me? Okay? And sorrow loves company, doesn't it? And that's kind of what happens. And it's one of those things as Christians, we have a joy on expressible really because of the salvation we have in Christ Jesus. Even on our worst days, do you guys know that we have something the world is longing for? We have hope even on our worst day that the world would give anything for. To be at peace with your maker, to know that you've been forgiven, that you have eternal life, that you have salvation, what a beautiful thing. So even when we're down, guess what, guys? We still can have a joy. We might not be happy, but isn't it cool that the joy of the Lord is beyond our superficial, temporal happiness? For the Christian, that's a joy that's just always with us, even in the hard things. That's why we read in chapter 1 that we have a God who is the God of all comfort, right? But when we go through things, he comforts us. He's faithful to us. He's there with us through it all, but as we go through things, then we are then able to go and comfort others as a result. And part of that is because we have joy in the Lord. You know what? It is hard. You are going through stuff. I can sympathize. I can relate. (laughs) But you know what? I can testify too because God is there even in the hard stuff. He was there for me. He's going to be there for you, and I'm going to pray for you in that way because I know he is faithful. So he goes on then in verse 3, and as we begin to look at this part, I want us to key in on the reality of forgiveness, okay? How many of you guys would say forgiveness is probably the hardest thing we struggle with in this life, okay? It is. We've been created to be relational. People hurt us, <laughs> Forgiveness is a hard thing. God's asked us to do that as believers, right? We are to be kind, compassionate, forgiving one another in God as Christ has forgiven you, right? I think that's Philippians, or no, Ephesians 4.32. But that's a theme throughout the scriptures is this idea of forgiveness. And so many of us have a hard time doing that and we reap the consequences of it. Because if we're not willing to forgive, which God's asked us to do, if Christ has forgiven us, how can we not forgive others? But if we're not willing to do that, what ends up happening? We end up getting angry. We end up getting frustrated, right? So I want you guys to key in as we go through these few verses how important it is for Christians to be forgiving. He writes in verse 3, I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I came I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy, having confidence in you that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. Now, 
I want to talk about Paul in a second, but before I do that, I want you guys to catch the importance of tone when we read something that is printed or maybe texted to you. Do you guys ever feel that the tone in your intention have been lost because that can't be communicated over a text or a letter, right? Have you ever received something in the wrong way? Like, what the, who the heck are you, what are you saying? You know, and you reply out of that frustration. They were, no, 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 that's totally not what I meant. Something is lost there. And sometimes I feel like we can do the same thing with the word of God. Would you guys agree with me? Some people that don't know the Lord, they'll often read, well, the God of the Old Testament, you know, he was so mean and vengeful and, you know, just horrible, you know. How could he do those things and allow those things? And I think oftentimes when people read those scriptures, they're missing the tone. Because if we're honest and we go read the context around those examples in the scripture, where do we see, like, where, what do we see God wanting to make very clear over and over again? I am compassionate. I am full of mercy. I've given you time to repent. But you continue to rebel and do evil. You're killing your kids. You're killing one another. You have not obeyed my word. I have been patient and it's time for me to act. So a lot of people want to point the finger, God, that's not fair, that's not just, that's not loving. I don't know about you guys, but I want God to be just. If things are wrong, like, <laughs> act now. I don't, I don't know about you, but one of my heart prayers is, Jesus, come quickly. This world's a mess. We need you to come and set things right. How can this evil continue? How can this war continue on? How can we live, continue to live in these comforts and self when people are starving to death? There's just a lot of wrongs in the world. And don't we want a God that says, you know what? I see the same thing. You know what? I am just. I see. And he is just. And he does judge. And he will judge. But I'm also thankful that he's a very patient God. Aren't you guys glad that he was long-suffering with you? Wow. Because really, what do we all deserve? Death, right? That's the penalty of our sin. We have broken the law. We are all guilty. And even people, when they read that in the scriptures, they're just like, well, that's mean. <laughs> God, who are you to say what's right and wrong? Well, let me tell you what. I'm glad rape is not okay. I love my wife. I love my daughter. I'm glad morally deep down we all know that there's a right and wrong. And who really gets to call the shots on what is right and wrong? Well, it's God. I don't know if you guys have read the Big Ten. We have them hanging up on the wall here. I agree with them all. If everybody would just live by those, those are good things. But a lot of people say, God, you're a buzzkill. That sucks. Your ways stink. Well, I look at them and like, you know what? My flesh might say those things, but if I'm really honest, you are right. Your ways are good. If we would just do it your way, how different things would be how different I would be. And aren't you guys glad that there's a grace to be had by God? Because the reality is, none of us can keep those Ten Commandments. We've all fallen short. And God loves us. He still has to be just and fair. We've sinned against him. But that's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of what God did, that he humbled himself and became a man and lived the life we couldn't live and died on the cross in our place. And we know it actually took and worked because he buried him and he came back to life just like he said he was going to do. Yep, 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 yep. Pretty cool. Sidetracked again. Pray. Pray, guys. <laughs> but coming back to tone, do you guys see the importance of tone? And I don't think they caught the tone in which Paul had written previously because he said, I wrote to you guys with what? With tears in my eyes. I am burdened for you. I love you. You guys need to get that. And a lot of scholars think there was actually another letter that was written to the Corinthians in between 1 Corinthians and uh, 3 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians here. They think there was a, a second, that this is not the second, that there was one that was written specifically dealing with some of the things that he brings up. And as we study through the second letter, you might catch a few of those verses like, oh, that makes sense that there was another letter that we don't have that was addressed. And part of that is coming out right here. 
But I want you guys to catch the tone because he tells us here in verse 4, hey, I want you to know that I love you guys, okay? I love you big time. And that's why I'm writing to you. That's why I wrote these things. It's out of love, okay? When I correct my children, it comes from a place of love, okay? I want the best for them. And in the scriptures even tell us whom the Lord loves, he'll chasten, he'll correct, okay? And a loving father will do that. I love you too much, son. I love you too much, daughter, okay? That's not good for you. I'm going to correct you, get you on the right path. All right, verse 5. But if anyone has caused grief or has caused grief, he has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent, not to be severe. This punishment, which was inflicted by the majority, is sufficient for such a man, so that on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and to comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Now, I'll give a little context to what Paul's talking about. We're going back to that man who was sleeping with his mother-in-law. An incestual relationship is not biblical. Do you guys say that, know that God says no, no to that? Not a good thing. And we just know that's wrong, okay? Deep down, we just, hey, that's not natural. That's not right. This sexual impurity, you know, God takes us serious. You guys need to repent. You need to honor. So what did he ask them to do? And this is what we are to do as a church. If there's a brother or sister who is in habitual sin and they're not repenting, we're told that we are to have them leave the church in a way of correction. And this is a good thing. Because if we are genuinely born again, a true believer, okay, what are you going to long for if you've been kicked out of fellowship? Fellowship. I want to be with my family. I'm a believer. And that should cause us to repent. Say, hey, what I'm doing, my church family has loved me enough to say, hey, enough is enough. You are in sin and you're not repenting. This is not good for you. It is not good for her. It's not good for the church because they were boasting. Their, oh, sexual sin, it's okay. That's where the Corinthian church was at. Look it, we've embraced grace. We got it. No, you've missed the point. And God wanted to correct that. And that's why he was asked to leave. But the man did repent. But you know what the church didn't do? They didn't allow him to be restored. And you guys know this is where forgiveness comes in. When we have a brother or a sister who is repentive, you guys know that God is all about restoration. That's the whole reason for all of this. Hey, correction's needed in hopes of restoration. This is all about care and love. And again, a lot of people think this is harsh. How, how can a church ever kick anybody else out? That's so harsh. No, get the context. Get the heart of what God is saying. Understand the tone. It's not a harsh thing. It's a hopeful thing to save that brother or sister. And don't you want to do that? If you see a brother or sister in the fire, aren't you going to want to come and pull them out? Like, get out. You're hurting yourself. Not good. So that's what needs to happen. But the problem here is they weren't allowing this man back into fellowship. And this is why Paul is writing the way he is. Hey, guys, it's time. This man has repented. You need to forgive him. You need to restore him. And that is a question where a lot of people have. It's just like, well, how does that look? How long do we kick them out? I think you kick a person out until they repent. And how quick can we repent, guys? Pretty quick. And especially if our hearts are towards the Lord and we have godly sorrow. Okay? Some of you guys, confession's a good thing. We open up that there may be healing. But why are we doing that? Because we are humble, we are broken over our sin. We're repentive. And don't we want to be repentive? A lot of people look at the word as repentance is a horrible word. I think it's the sweetest word in all the Bible, guys. You can jot down Acts 3.19. Repent that times of refreshing may come. How many of you guys want to be refreshed? And it goes on to say that refreshing comes from being in the presence of the Lord. As a Christian, I want to be in the presence of the Lord. It's my sin that builds that wall, that breaks fellowship with God, okay? And that's why God had to come and deal with our sin, right? So that wall could be torn down, that that separation could be taken away. 
But in this life, guys, we're still going to flesh out, we're still going to sin, but now we can repent. And that's the beauty of being in Christ Jesus. When you're born again, you don't have to sin any longer. The Bible says we still will, but we can repent. It doesn't have to have a hold on us any longer. That's the beautiful thing. So we as a church, when we come around one another and there's that correction, it's hope that there will be a godly sorrow, repentance, and that there will be restoration. And God knows best. And sometimes the church is not willing to act and they reap the consequences of it. And that's what was going on in the Corinthian church. They were boasting in their sin. Oh, this is going on. Oh, that's a mess. Sleeping with your mom is not cool. (laughs) Anyways, should we move on? We should move on. All right. What verse? Verse 8, right? Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. So love on this guy. Bring him back. For to this end, I also wrote that you might put or put you to the test whether you're obedient in all things. Now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I've forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. So I want to pause here for a moment, okay? One of the scriptures that I've seen twisted, um, and I have questions around it, but do you guys remember when Jesus spoke to the apostles, the disciples, and he gave them the right to forgive sin? Okay, remiss, you can forgive or you can hold back that. Okay, there's only one who can forgive sin. Correct? That's why I struggle with that one statement because I feel like it's out of the context of the whole of Scripture. Do you guys remember King David had an adulterous relationship with Bathsheba? You guys familiar with that? And then in Psalm uh, 51, verse 4, he cries out to God and he says, You know what? You didn't say it this, but this is the point he was getting to. He said, I didn't sin against Bathsheba or Uriah. Okay, I had Uriah killed her husband. My son's name is Uriah, by the way. Uh, <laughs> what a story, Dad. Thanks for picking that name. <laughs> but it's a cool picture because Uriah died because of the sin of another. It's kind of a cool picture of Christ, right? He died because of the sin of others. But David cried out there and saw, he, he had been repentive, okay? The sin was called out. And being a man after God's own heart, he did a horrible thing, and we may love the Lord deeply, but we're still going to sin. And there's a place for repentance. But he cries out there in Psalm 51, verse 4, You, God, and you alone I have sinned against. And that's what we see through the scriptures. When we sin, we sin against God. Why? Because he's the one who's authored what is right and wrong. And David understood that. So when we are called to forgive, there's going to be people who sin against us, but ultimately they've sinned against God. And if God is willing to forgive, what should we do? Be willing to forgive. That's what he's asked us to do. And how much hurt do we save ourselves? I know so many people uh, through the years that I've counseled with, some for years, the same issue over and over again because they weren't willing to forgive. The party that wronged them had moved on and probably doesn't even think about the situation any longer. But they're wallowing in this unforgiveness and hurt, frustration and pain because they're not willing to do what God's asked them to do. Forgive. God wants us to be set free. Well, if I forgive them, then they're, who cares what they are? We need to do our part. You guys know that's all we can do? Whether they choose to repent and to do what's right, we need to do our part. Now, forgiveness doesn't mean that we're just blind, okay? If someone's hurt us, we are to forgive them, but I ain't going to be stupid about that person any longer because, well, they did it before. They haven't repented. You know what? They might do it again. I'm going to distance myself. God doesn't say you have to keep the same type of relationship, but there needs to be forgiveness of heart. Does that make sense? Okay, so with King David here, forgiving Okay, we sin against God. So when God did speak to the disciples and said, hey, I'm going to give you the authority to forgive sin or not to forgive sin. What is he talking about then? You know, 
And again, there's a lot of questions around that scripture, but for you and I, I know I don't have an apostolic ministry, okay, capital A, okay? Apostles scripturally actually had to see Jesus, right? They were there with him. They can testify to his life and death. So we, what do we do? Can we retain sin or remiss sin? Can we forgive sin? Well, the Catholics do. You can go into a little box and some dude can say you're forgiven. Still haven't found that in the Bible. Maybe that's the one scripture they want to run to. I don't know. But what we do see over and over again in the scriptures, do you guys know that God has given us the ability in the way of a person's sins being forgiven? Do you know that most people don't know the gospel? They don't understand the gospel. If you don't believe me, just randomly this next week, just hit up five strangers, just five random people. You know, I got a question. Do you know what the gospel is? Just ask them, and you'll get some really goofy answers that are totally non-biblical, okay? And some people might even go to church, and they don't get the gospel. What we need to do, guys, is we need to share the truth of the gospel with people. Because if we see someone sinning, and we know that there is a Savior, that they can be forgiven. And there are people broken over their sin. You guys know that? There are people that don't know how to deal with their wrongs and their sin. They know they're guilty before their maker. They carry that burden. And that's why we have so many bars Okay. I went with Jeremiah up north on Friday, and he was just like, we're in the middle of nowhere, but there's bars everywhere. Like, what's going on? Why? Because people are trying to deal with that. They have that guilt and that shame. I'm just going to drink that away. I don't want to deal with myself. And that's why they're drunks. That's why they drink every day, just trying to deal with that sorrow. But the good news, the gospel is what? <laughs> Jesus has dealt with that. If you're willing to repent, to turn to him, to put your faith in him, to give him your life, you can be forgiven. You'll be a new creation. We're going to get there in chapter 5, verse 17, so hang on a couple months. <laughs> but it tells us there, you're a new cre- old things pass away, behold, all things become new. That's what happens when someone puts their faith in Christ. They believe the gospel. It's beautiful. So I don't know who's praying or not. We're going to get back on track. (laughs) Here we go. Oh, the gospel's so much better than Satan. Satan's a turkey. Look at verse 11. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. Does anybody have a different translation for that verse? We are not what? Yes, sir. Wes. What? Outwitted. You got an ESV, don't you? Oh, outwitted. I like that. Do you guys know that (laughs) in the flesh, in the physical, are any of us going to be able to take Satan? Yeah. We need to talk about him a little bit this morning. I don't like talking about him because he stinks. Um, But we're told in the scripture that we, guys, we're not ignorant. We're not to ignore his devices, his schemes, because he is out to get us. And I don't know about you guys, but I see him working overtime. We read the Bible, and the Bible actually talks about today, right now, more than any other time in history. Okay? And there's a lot of prophecy here. God foretold a lot of things that were going to happen, even he himself coming to earth. Okay? Hundreds of prophecies about that, all fulfilled. But there's a day that he speaks about being the end of days before he returns a second time to set up his kingdom for a thousand years. Things are getting crazy. How many of you guys know that Satan knows Bible? Read chapter 4 of Matthew. When he came to tempt Jesus, what was he using? What was he twisting? Scripture. He knows the word. Although he loves to lie, he's the father of lies, and he'll script, you know, twist the scriptures. That's exactly what he did there, and that's what he does with you and I over and over again. But we need to be aware of his schemes. 
how he works, okay? Because the Bible speaks a lot to it. And I believe Satan's working overtime in these last days trying to take down as many as possible, okay? Why do we see the church so lukewarm today, okay? Look around. People don't come to church anymore. Statistically, more and more people are leaving the church. What's going on there? Statistically, less and less churches are actually upholding the word of God. We'll preach a whole lot of other things from the pulpit, except this. There's a lot of Christians that would have a hard time with what we're doing this morning. You're really going to open the book and just teach through the book? Yeah, that's what God's told the church to do. Sorry, most churches don't do it. What's going on? Satan's at work, okay? And he is at work in the church. And he is the father of all lies. Jump over just a couple chapters to chapter 4. This is one of the things that we'll, we'll get into this in depth when we get to chapter 4. But look at chapter 4, verse 3. We'll pick it up. But even if the gospel, we just talked about the good news and how good it is, right? So if this good news is being veiled, if you can't see it, it tells us it is veiled to those who are perishing, those who are going to be going to hell. How? Why is it being veiled? Well, verse 4 says, who the minds of the, or the minds, the God of this age. Who's the God of this age? Satan, okay? He has blinded them who do not believe, least the light of the gospel should, or in the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So there's a spiritual reality going on in all of our lives. And those who don't get the gospel, can't see the gospel, what's going on? There's a spiritual thing going on, and Satan is working on them so they don't see. There's a very real battle going on over the souls of every man, woman, and child upon this planet. That is the truth. And you guys who've come to Christ, you know exactly what I'm talking about. How did I walk in darkness? Why did I hate the light? Why was I so repulsed by the light? It's because of Satan. But we're not ashamed of the gospel, are we? Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For it is the power of God unto salvation. And that's why it's important, guys, that we're sharing the gospel with others. Yeah, you are in sin, but your sin can be forgiven. This is the good news. How can we not share it? How can we not talk about it? Pastor, why are you always talking about the gospel no matter where we are in the scriptures? Because that's what it's all about. I know you guys are saved. Hopefully you're all saved. If not, you need to repent today and get right with the Lord. But we need to grasp this because this is what is going on. This is big picture. This is what matters. God laid down his life that many may be saved. But Satan doesn't want that to happen. And he's doing everything he can to keep that from happening. I mean, think about it in the schools today. You know, I got some young people I know who go to public schools and they're learning about world religions. Pretty cool. I think we should know what people believe and why they believe it. But we're not allowed to talk about Christianity. And the Christianity we talk about, we're not actually allowed to open up the Bible and actually really talk about what God, it's more of the historical things and how Christians have messed up. Yeah, we can own that. We are a mess. <laughs> but that isn't Christianity. <laughs> Our God <laughs> what he's declared, biblical Christianity. That's what matters. And what matters is there's a spiritual reality and Satan is at work. But it's cool. Though Satan may, at this time, you guys know lawfully he doesn't have rights to anything because there was a victory that was won 2,000 years ago on the cross. The scriptures speak very clearly to that. Victory has been won and we need to live in that. And there is spiritual victory that we've been given We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. But Satan is very much at work, okay? And he's trying to do his thing until Christ comes back, and he knows that day is coming soon, so he is working overtime. Let's jump over to chapter 10 real quick. This uh, scripture, verse 4, speaks to this idea a little bit. It tells us in verse 4 that the weapons of our warfare... Okay, speaking about the spiritual war that we're in, they're not carnal, they're not fleshly, they're not physical, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments of every high thing. So he goes on here. But the reality is, spiritually speaking, Satan has nothing on us. 
Well, why am I tempted? Why am I attacked? Why are those fiery darts always coming? Okay? Why is he deceiving? Why is he lying? Why is he working in the church and bringing division? Why are these evil powers allowed to reign and rule and have their way in this world? What the heck is going on here? What can we do? Well, we can get on our knees. We need to pray. We need to stand in the truth. Because let me tell you what, when Satan shows up, and he does, doesn't he? What are we, let's go to James chapter four real quick. Yeah, don't pray about me getting off track right now because this is good. Let's go to, to James chapter four together. We are going to start in verse 1 just to get the context because we talked about pride a little bit and humility. It says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Hey, do they not come because of your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and you have not. You murder, you covet, and you cannot obtain. You fight and you war. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you're asking the wrong things is what he says. You ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Adulterers, adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is war or enmity with God? Who therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God? Or do you not think the scriptures say in vain that the spirit who dwells in you yearns jealousy, jealously? So spiritually, guys, God, God is at work in our lives. You're born again of the Spirit. Okay, and the Spirit wars against the flesh. But here's what I want us to catch. In verse 6, it says, God gives more grace, right? Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he'll give grace to the humble. And it tells us in verse 7, and this is the verse I want us to hang on for a second. Therefore, submit to God. We know that's a good thing because he's right. And it tells us then, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Well, how do we resist the devil? We follow Jesus. You guys understand that? Because if we're not following Jesus, <laughs> we're going to be in trouble. Because let me tell you what, if Satan's coming after me, if he's confronting me, do you know who I want between me and him? Jesus. Resist the devil. You know, Jesus, you got this. I'll just stay back here and follow you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> it's really that simple, isn't it? But how often are we trying to fight him on our own? Hey, I've been a Christian for a while. I know the truth. I know James chapter 4. I just need to resist you. And he will flee. He will. But let me tell you what. If you think you can go to that website, go into that place, do those things. Are you resisting the devil? No, you're playing with the devil. You're on his playground. Okay? Be careful. Take heed to yourselves, lest you fall. And that's why we need humility. I need you, Jesus. And if we're following him, we're not going to be in those places where we can be attacked. But when we are with and we're following Christ, do you think Satan's still going to attack? Oh, yeah, because he doesn't want us doing what God wants us to do. If we're walking uprightly and doing what God's calling us to do, he's not going to like that. He will attack. But that's where we need to stand firm Resist him, the Bible says, and he will flee. And it goes on to talk about the importance here in James of drawing near to God. And God promises if we draw near to him, he will what? Draw near to us. And let me tell you what, I want God with me when Satan comes and shows up. Okay? Say, so, hey, I need you, God. Because spiritually right now, <laughs> I know there's victory in you. And I'm going to stand in that victory. Satan has nothing. He can do nothing. You guys understand that? Resist the devil and he will flee. How is that a possibility? I thought he's strong. Well, if you're a child of God, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit. God is with you. Greater is he who dwells in you than he who's in the world, the scriptures tell us. Stand your ground. Put on the full armor of God, okay? Don't turn your back and run because that's when you're vulnerable. That's when you're gonna get hit. You stand in the truth, brother and sister. Amen? So we could talk about his schemes forever because he is a turkey, but we know better. And that's why the scriptures tell us. But the big thing, do you guys see how pride can get in there when we think we can do it ourselves? No, we need the Lord. We need to humble ourselves. 
One thing I do want to hit on, guys, is when we begin to question, and this is where I see God working in some people's lives right now, and if I'm honest, even in my own life a little bit, if we begin to question the goodness of God, and I so appreciated the first couple songs that our worship team led us in this morning. It really came around God being a good, good father, the goodness of God, right? But if we begin to question his goodness, okay, it's easier to disobey his will. Would you agree with me on that? Yes. We need to stand firm in our faith. God is good. And he is the giver of every good and perfect gift, James 1.17. Okay, we have a good dad, a good father, a good God. And we need to trust him. Because when we don't, when our faith begins to waver, we're going to start disobeying. Uh, I don't know. And what does Satan want to undermine? The truth of the gospel. The good news. That's why we got to keep preaching to ourselves, brothers and sisters. Stand firm in the faith. Does that make sense? Good. Okay. Do you guys know that Satan's also the accuser of the brethren? Okay. Did I tell you guys Satan stinks? Oh, good, good, good. Okay. I stopped calling him turkey. I did that early on in the sermon because Thanksgiving's around the corny. I don't want you guys thinking about that during your dinner. But <laughs> Satan being a stinker, okay, he'll come and he'll tempt us, and then we'll give in to that sin, that temptation, and then what does he do? He comes and accuses us, doesn't he? Oh, I got you to do that. You know, and you call yourself a Christian. <laughs> you know, he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a stinker. Um, but you guys know <laughs> who Jesus is to us? He's our advocate. Satan may be the accuser, but Jesus is our advocate. Okay? Stand in the word of God. Okay? The devil knows your name, but he calls you by your sin. God knows your sin, but he calls you by your name. Stand in the truth. What does God say? Okay? And you're never stronger, brother and sister, than when you're dependent upon Jesus Christ. I feel weak right now. I feel like I'm going to give in. Guess what? God blesses weakness. Why? Because when we're weak, he is strong. And I would rather have his strength any day than my own. Amen? One last thought. Humility isn't weakness. It's a declaration, isn't it? It's a declaration that, God, I need you. So don't ever look at humility as a poor weakness. It's a great strength for us as Christians because we are smart enough and we know better and we know that we need Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right, let's go back to 2 Corinthians 2. If your pastor doesn't get sidetracked again, we can pull this off. Verse 12, furthermore, when I came to Troas, he said, to preach Christ's gospel, the good news, he says a door was opened to me by the Lord. So an open door doesn't always necessitate, guys, um, us having to walk through it, okay? Doesn't mean we have to, okay? Oh, that door is open, I guess I can, I'm going to go for a walk. It's open, right? I'm just going to, oh, that one's open. Too. Which, I'll go through this one. See you guys later. Well, that's crazy. I thought pastor was called to preach to us and he just left. He just walked through that door and just took off from his calling. What the heck was he thinking? So I'm back. I bet you I know what you guys were thinking. You were thinking I just abandoned my post. My calling, right? Aren't you called to pastor us, to teach us, to preach his word, pastor? And you just walked through that door. Do you guys see the point there? Just because the door is open doesn't mean that it's actually our calling. That's what we're exhorted to work out in our lives. What are we called to? What is God asking of us? Because there might be multiple doors open. What matters is what is God calling us to? And it might be to walk through that door. 
well, I don't know what's on the other side of that door. That might be scary. Where is it going to lead me? Where am I going to be going? Don't know. But if God's calling you to it, you go. But we have to discern what doors the Lord opens. Because there's always going to be need, isn't there? We see a lot of doors open. There's a lot of good to be done. But is it actually what God's calling us to? Do you guys understand what I'm saying? And some of you guys have a servant's heart. You love the Lord. You want to do good. You're willing to walk through any door and do everything, right? But what is needed is that we are stepping into our calling, what God has purposed. But the door over here is open because brother so-and-so didn't step up and do what he was supposed to do. I got to do that now too. That's God's deal. You need to go where God's asking you to do. And I want to talk about another door real quick because I believe Satan can open doors too. Would you guys agree with me? Yeah. There's things God's wanting to do, and Satan's been around long enough. I think he can kind of see in a human's life like, oh, (laughs) I see where their heart's at. I see the things they're caring about. I see how they're provoked. I see how they're loving the Lord, how they're loving other people. I see probably what God's wanting to do through this child of his. I'm going to go open a door over here, and I'm going to make it very appealing, and I'm going to try to have him walk through that open door. Has that ever happened to you? And it's just like, I don't know what to do. There's so many opportunities, so many doors. And I often think, well, God, you're up to something because Satan, <laughs> he, he doesn't want me to walk through your door. He wants me to do anything but, maybe even something that looks really good or might be good because sometimes we have to say no to the good to say yes to what God wants. Amen? Amen. All right, verse 14, 13. He says, I do not rest in the spirit because I did not find Titus, my brother, but taking my leave of them, I departed to Macedonia. So (laughs) he didn't have rest in his spirit. Have you guys ever been so concerned for somebody? Man, you're just uneasy. There was no rest in your soul, in your spirit. Yeah, you care about people. And that's kind of where Paul was at. Titus. My buddy's been a faithful 20 years of ministry with me. Do you guys know Titus was the one who brought the letter to the Corinthian church that Paul penned? He was a minister with Paul. Faithful brother, what happened? Did the Judaizers get a hold of him? Did Rome get a hold of him and kill him because he's a Christ follower? What happened to Titus? Where is he? He was grieved so much. He ends up going to Macedonia. And then in verse 14, now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. We spoke about that a little bit. There's victory in Christ, okay? We need to live in that truth, in that victory. And he leads us. That's where he leads, triumph. And through us, he diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Isn't that kind of cool? Every place. The fragrance of Christ. Why? Because Christ lives in you wherever you go. The fragrance of Christ is going to be there. And what fellowship does light have with darkness? You guys ever feel like why it feels so weird being in those situations, in those places? We have no business being there. What fellowship? But it doesn't matter where we go. Even the darkest places we go, if you're a Christian, the fragrance of Christ is going to be with you. That's kind of cool. Okay? I remember a few times I did jail ministry for five years on an almost daily basis, you know. Very dark place. A few of you guys have been in prison, okay? A few of you have ministered in the prisons, okay? Not a very fun, good, bright place to be. <laughs> um, very dark in a lot of ways. A lot of junk still going on in the jails. And it's so cool, guys, because there was times where I would walk into a class or into a one-on-one And I had people over the years just like, what is that? What is going on? It's the fragrance of Christ. They weren't able to discern that. They don't know God. What is that? That's the Holy Spirit. It's the fragrance of Christ. I want you guys to remember that. No matter where we go, we are the fragrance of Christ. And I want it to be a sweet-smelling fragrance, don't you? Yeah. 
yeah. Because let me tell you what, we're the fragrance whether or not, you know, we're doing this or that. If we're his, we're the fragrance of Christ. But I believe things can be more fragrant. Would you guys agree? Okay. Like, I can sweat. But if I sweat, sweat, you guys will smell it for sure. (laughs) You guys know what I'm saying? So the same thing, if we're with Christ, if we're pressing into him, spending time with him, how much stronger, how much sweeter that fragrance might be. You guys get the point? Okay. Also, it goes on then to tell us in verse 15, since we be in the fragrance of Christ, okay, abide in him, be near him, for we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Whoa. What are you saying? You're the fragrance of Christ. You guys ever bump into a Christian randomly out and about? Might be the guy pumping the gas on the other side of the gas pump. And you're just like, I smell Christian. I smell, I smell Christ in somebody. <laughs> And you step into that and you're just like, hey, are you a brother in Christ? Yeah, how'd you know? You stink good. That's how I know. That's happened to me. There's just people you bump into and they just have the fragrance of Christ. It's a beautiful thing, you know. But to those who are alive in Christ, it's a sweet aroma, you know. I bump into this person and we strike up a conversation They're a believer. We're having fellowship in the grocery store. This is a sweet thing happening right now. This is awesome. Good aroma here. You know, there is life and we're sharing in that fellowship. But do you guys ever strike up a conversation with someone who doesn't have life in Christ? They're headed for hell. They've rebelled against God. They said, screw you, God. (laughs) I'm doing my own thing. I will not submit. I will not live for you. I'm going to live for myself. What does our fragrance do with them? It agitates them. I don't like what I'm smelling. I don't like you. Have you had, any, have you had anybody just hate you because you're a Christ follower? Isn't that weird? It's like you don't even know me. And if you knew me, I'd want to think you'd like me. I think I'm pretty cool. We can deceive ourselves, by the way. But, <laughs> but most Christians, I like most Christians. Some are judgmental and need to grow up and mature in Christ. Like, honestly, there's a fragrance with some Christians. It's just like, what are you doing? Like, one second, you can be loving and serving. And the next second, it's just like, you got too many stinks. Like, just abide with Christ. Just let your aroma be sweet all the time. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's just like one of those things as believers, like we want to rightly represent Christ, okay? And that's what we want to do for one another. Are any of us perfect? No. Are we a perfect church? No. But I want there to be a sweetness that as we gather together, the prayers of the saints, okay? Think about the temple, the incense before the Lord, a sweet-smelling aroma. Let us be those who pray well, okay, that are doing it according to God's heart, that we're loving and serving each other the way God wants, that we're loving and we're shining to this world. You guys know that we are salt and light in this world. We're not just fragrance. We are light and we are salt. Some of you guys are keeping the salt in the salt shaker. It's time to get it out. God doesn't want our salt in his shaker. (laughs) We're to go spread it out to this world, okay? Let's season well. All right, verse 15, 16 now. It says, to the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the uh, others, we are the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? That's a great question. Who is sufficient? Are we? Can we? Is it God alone? Well, let's just jump ahead a little bit to chapter 3. Look at verse 5. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves, okay? We can't do it alone, but Christ in us is the hope of glory, okay? For someone to be touched by Christ, he might want to do that in and through you. Do you understand that? To be the hands and the feet of Christ, to go, to love, to serve this world, right? So he says here in chapter 3 that... 
uh, our sufficiency is not of ourselves to think of anything of being from ourselves, but our sufficiency, catch it guys, it's from God who made us, also made us sufficient as ministers of this new covenant and not of the letter, not of the law of the spirit for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And that's what we get to share with people because the letter says we're all damned. We're all going to hell. We've broken God's commandments, but we have the spirit of the living God. We get to share the good news, okay, that, hey, a person can be saved by grace through faith in Christ. It's beautiful. It's not of ourselves. And our sufficiency, it's not of us, guys. It's all Jesus. You guys getting the point here? And that's what Paul's getting to us as he wraps up chapter 2 here. So let's take a look at the last verse, verse 17. For we are not as many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. You know, I give thanks for the privilege of being able to pastor you guys. I give thanks for our church family, you know. There's a lot of things, you know, I kind of think should be different or we did different. But it is good just to pause sometimes. Look at what God has done. Look at how faithful he's been for 16 years with our church family, guys. It's beautiful how many people have come to faith in Christ, how many have grown. And I think yesterday I had a pastoral training meeting with four guys from our church here. And we're just talking a little bit about the core of our church here at Freedom, the sweetness, the maturity, the growth, the fruit. There are good things, And it's one of those things, it's good to give thanks. It's good to pause and to remember that God is faithful. And he's faithful to his word. He is faithful. We don't want to be those who are peddling the word of God. And I'm ashamed that the church is doing this today. They use the means of the scriptures to make money. That's what this verse is actually saying. Like, hey, There are those who are trying to make money off the gospel. Let it not be said of us. That's one of the reasons why we don't pass a basket here at Freedom. You know, we should give. That's what the scriptures say, but that's between you and God. But we're not going to peddle something saying, hey, if you give, (laughs) if we do this, okay, manipulating, hey, look at all the things we can do. God needs your money. Do you guys know that? The ministry here at Freedom Fellowship is failing. And if you don't give now, we're going to be done. How many guys have heard that before from pulpits? I get the letters in the mail all the time. People asking for money. I wish they would send me money, but it's just always, (laughs) you know, hey, we need this. We need that. Our ministry is going to be over unless you give us money today. We've never done that, and we're never going to do that here at Freedom Guys, because this is what Paul's talking about, and it shouldn't be said of the church. We should not use God's word for gain in that way. That is just wrong. God does bless, and we should give, and there should be things being done. But God doesn't need our money. Hear very clearly, God does not need your stuff. My God, he owns a thousand cattle over on that hill, and the hill, by the way. It's all his anyways. You guys understand we are going to stand in the truth of what the scriptures say. We will not manipulate people. And we're not going to be that type of example to the world. And I feel bad that the church is that example. Because the world looks in and they're like, wow, you the church, you Christians, you use the same gimmicks that all these big companies use. Shame on us. Do you guys know that there's a lot of conferences today for church leaders, pastors? This is how you can grow your church? And this is how you can bring in the money? What the heck is going on? How about you at this conference open up 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and read the last verse and think about that for a little while? What does God have to say? Okay? So we need to stand in the truth. and We don't want to ever be those that misuse God's word. God's word is his word. It is truth. And it is truth we are told to share that people would be set free. You guys understand that? Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father except through him. That is what this book says. 
And that's why this is different than every other book upon the planet when it comes to religion. Because Christianity, the Holy Bible, is the only one who says God has done it. But when we start peddling the word of God, we're just like every other religion. We have to do it. Nope. The truth is God has done what we can't do. It is all him. Amen? Amen. So, Father, we are grateful for your word this morning. Just even walking slowly through this letter that was penned so many years ago it is so practical and so right on for today. God, we give thanks just for all that you do, all that you've done, how you do work in and through us, God, especially when we humble ourselves before you. Lord, we want to be vessels of honor. We want to be tools you can use for whatever you would call us to that we would know and have the wisdom to walk through the doors that you open in this life. So we pray that for us individually, but also corporately as a church family. God, we know the enemy hates what's going on here. So we pray that you'd protect us, that you'd give us wisdom and insight, that we would resist him well, that we would continue to stand upon your word, that we wouldn't fall into the folly of this world, the gimmicks of this world, but we would continue just to trust in you and you alone because, God, you are altogether trustworthy. I thank you so much for the gospel. Thank you for saving us, Jesus. God, and I do pray and ask of you, Holy Spirit, if there are any here or at home watching online, God, that don't walk in faith, or maybe they're seeking God, would you open up their eyes and let them see that you are who you say you are, that you are the savior of this world, that you alone are God. You're the only way. God, help them to see and to know how much you love them, that they would be quick to repent and turn to you, Father, and have eternal life. God, thank you so much for that great gift. Thank you for all that you have done. Pray now you bless our fellowship. Again, thank you for this church family. And personally, I thank you just for the privilege of being able to be their pastor or to love them and to pray for them. And I, I want to do that better. And I just pray you give wisdom. And as we get in and continue to study through your word, Lord, we just pray that you would continue just to work in us according to your will and your purposes. We ask in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.